everyone. We are back here for episode 16 of the Beyond the Whistle podcast. I'm Dylan Pescatore, joined by Ian Nichols. And our guest today is Danny Vietti, a baseball writer and social media producer for CBS Sports. Danny, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, of course, guys. Anytime. Thanks for uh, having me. Hope everyone's staying safe out there. So sadly, our first question that we have to ask all our guests uh, through these tough times is how you're doing during this pandemic. As good as you can be, right? I mean, I have nothing to complain about. There's a lot of people out there that are really struggling. There's a lot of people out there that are losing jobs, losing money, um, and losing family members too. So, you know, I have a, a good family behind me that are staying safe, staying healthy, and I have a, a girlfriend and dog that are willing to stay with me and uh, stay inside all these hours with me, which is a tall task, trust me. So I have nothing to complain about. Well, that's great to hear. So uh, let's just dive right into it, starting with where really your career in baseball began. You were a pitcher growing up and you played uh, at a lot of different colleges where you wanted to continue your baseball career. But now, obviously, you're a baseball writer for CBS Sports. So I guess the big question is, is when did you know baseball was the sport for you? And when did you first fall in love with it? And when did you know, either if it was playing professionally, playing in college, or you know, writing and being a broadcaster and journalist, when did you know that I want to be involved in sports, I want to be involved in baseball for the rest of my life? That's a good question. I don't know if there was ever a certain point or a certain time when I was like, sports is just going to be, I just kind of grew up that way. I'm sure mm -hmm. you guys can relate. A lot oh. of guys can relate. I had three older brothers. They all played three sports. I only ended up playing two sports, but uh, you know, I grew up they're all older. And so I grew up in an, a basketball gym or at a baseball field. And I really looked up to those guys. Um, and it was just kind of a lifestyle. And my dad was, you know, always the coach. My mom was my little league coach. So it's kind of a, and I grew up in a small town. So it wasn't as if, you know, major league baseball was going to be this likely destination for me because it's such a small town that the talent isn't as great in a small area. So yeah, I, I I think it was just always something I wanted to do. Once I started playing, once I started writing just in school, I kind of realized I was, I was decent at writing. And, um, and, you know, baseball, I knew I could play collegially. I bounced around a couple different schools between San Diego State, University of San Francisco, and then finally ended up at William Jessup. And I ended up getting a job with Max Preps, which lent, uh, led to CBS Sports. So uh, one thing just kind of led to another. Like I said, I don't think it was any one thing that – you know, sparked me into saying I'm going to be a major league baseball writer, but you know, life kind of takes over and I'm really happy with where I ended up so far, but still a lot, a lot of work to do. Definitely. So you start out at, at San Diego state where you had some collegiate offers to play baseball. San Diego state was not one of them, but you decided to go there for the journalism school. Was journalism the number one priority now because you chose it over a baseball career where you know you had a spot on the team? Yeah, that's a, that's a good, you guys did your homework. I love that. Uh, yeah. So at first, I had a couple different offers, uh, mostly smaller schools, um, a lot of Division threes, Division twos, NAIAs. And then I had, I think, uh, a couple of Division one offers to, like, New Mexico State and a couple of preferred walk-ons. But um, I really wanted to go to San Diego State. Uh, my oldest brother, who uh, passed away, um, it's kind of fitting because yesterday was Memorial Day. Uh, he served overseas and he ended up passing away. His dream school was always San Diego State. And mm -hmm. so, to me, it was like, well, I want to go to San Diego State. Um, I wasn't primarily going for the baseball aspect. I, like you said, I was primarily going for the journalism program because they have a really, really good program down there in Southern California. And so I was hoping to play baseball there on the side as well. It didn't work out. I went to walk-on tryouts, and they didn't keep one of us. 
Uh, I thought I actually threw pretty well, but you know, that it's such a competitive program and they had such a full roster at the time. It just didn't really end up working out. So uh, I went through that journalism program and school wise, San Diego state was my favorite by far, just because the classes were very appealing and they were really resonating with what I wanted to do as a career. Uh, but I ended up going transferring to university of San Francisco, which I talked with them at high school and I was pretty cool with their coach. And so he allowed me to do a preferred walk-on opportunity. I pitched, long story short, I pitched terribly um, and then ended up transferring over to William Jessup and NAI in Northern California. So yeah, the journalism program down at San Diego State's awesome though. So um, for anyone looking to do journalism, looking to become a better writer, social media guy, San Diego State is definitely a good spot to be. So to follow up on your experiences at San Diego State, you actually were a co-host of I guess your first really experience in broadcasting, your first sports show, and I love the title, Zach and Danny Make a Sports Show on KCR Radio. Um, so that was really your first, uh, your first experience in the business, in a sense. And what, what did you and your friend Zach, what were your expectations heading into that? And how did it end up being during your time at San Diego State? And how was that as your first uh, stepping stone in your career? Yeah, that was, that was kind of just a get your foot in the door. It was one of those any student can join. And that's the cool thing about going to these bigger four-year universities. A lot of people ask me, should I go to a junior college first to get my general ed and then kind of move on from there? And I don't think there's any one path for every person. But the cool thing about a four-year institution is that there's so many different clubs. There's so many different programs. Um, I'm sure you guys can attest to this or, or will be able to attest to this, but um, the, the radio program and journalism program down there there was just different things to do. So there's a newspaper, there's a radio, and it was just kind of first come first serve when it came to radio. And I was, I was terrible. I, I, I still have a lot to work on and, you know, it was our first show, but you know, it, it's fun and you get to find what your personality is. You get to find what your shtick is, if you will. Um, you know, I now appear on radio shows as a guest, but I rarely go on as a host now, but it was still good experience just to, learn to talk in public. Um, you know, I, I took a speech class as well, which was super helpful. So there's just a lot of different programs. And I don't think I had any expectations other than just trying to see where I was as a person. I think that's what everyone goes through when they're in college is just kind of seeing where they're at, seeing what they want to be, who they are as a person and career wise as well. Mm -hmm. So sticking with the broadcasting aspect, you go to William Jessup University where you spent two to three years there, the longest tenure at college uh, between the three. And you were the color man for the men's and women's basketball team, as well as being a beat writer on top of that. How did you even like think of doing color, which you haven't done before, and then you incorporate writing? Was that very tough? Because there's a lot of things to cover uh, between knowing the players, knowing the team, and then also writing about them. Yeah, that was actually a surprise. Um, going, like I mentioned before, going to a four-year institution, especially a big school like San Diego State, I wasn't quite surprised at all the programs. It was, a, it was a blessing, but I was kind of expecting it. Now, when I went to a smaller school at William Jessup, it's small and there's not as many programs, there's not as many clubs, not as many opportunities, but I was really surprised at the opportunities that were there. So like you mentioned, I did broadcasts, I did uh, beat writing for men's and women's uh, basketball teams. And I didn't think an NAI school, a smaller one in Northern California would have any of that. And I didn't expect, I was going from a division one school to an NAI school. And so I had really, really low expectations in regards to competitiveness because I played baseball there too. And both competitiveness opportunity, um, 
and just culture was a big shock and surprise to me in a good way because I was expecting to be, you know, kind of the dumps, if you will. I really had, like I said, I had no expectations. I actually received a call in high school from William Jessup. Um, and I, I don't want to say I big leagued him, but I kind of was like, no, thanks. You know, thanks for your offer, but I'm going to kind of go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny how it worked out. I ended up graduating from there and having the best time of my life there. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. No one path um, is right for everybody because I never thought I would have ended up at William Jessup in Northern California, um, graduating, having the best time of my life, but that's really where it happened. And it was tough to juggle all these different um, programs between sports, doing the broadcasts. Um, and I also had a part-time job on top of it as well, but I really think it helped me develop as a journalist, um, just as a person as well. So yeah, I, I think it was really good. And being in the Sacramento area was great too, because you're close to the Bay area you're not too far from Southern California. So there's different opportunities and you get to network really well as, uh, on top of that. Yeah, well, it's definitely, it's great that your career or your college life panned out that way and you had some awesome opportunities there. And you mentioned earlier that you worked at, at Max Preps, which was really your first big uh, national gig uh, after college. And you were there for nearly three years in a lot of different roles. Now I know Dylan and I, we cover high school sports. So Max Preps is, is big for us uh, with a lot of stats and, and news about the high school scene but what were some of the biggest things that you learned there and how you honed your writing craft and uh how was that experience like yeah so i have nothing but good things to say about max preps they really took a chance on me uh mm -hmm. it, when i was juggling a lot of different things so like i mentioned i was doing um color analysts on the broadcast at william jessup and i was also doing beat writing and i was also playing baseball and before I even went to William Jessup, I had this part-time job with Max Preps. And I came to my manager and I said, I'm thinking about going back to play baseball um, and doing a couple different things. Are you guys going to be okay with me um, maybe coming to the office two or three times a week, working from home the other times of the week? And, you know, I, I will have to have some, um, some weird hours sometimes because I'm going to have practice and whatnot. And my manager, Steve Montoya, he was all in and he said, look, do what you got to do. Um, you're a good worker. And, you know, we're lucky to have you and whatnot and so he kept me on and that really gave me not just the financial um stability that i needed because i was already in when you go to university of san francisco you're going to be deep in loans so i was already <laughs> deep in loans and i still am deep in loans but uh Ooh. uh I, yeah I, that's college for you but mm -hmm. you know it, it max preps really gave me my first opportunity and i have nothing but great things to say because they really have a great family culture and they do business and non-business-like, if you will. They really are, um, I don't want to spoil it for everyone, really, but it's really, you just have to go into the office and meet the people because they're really great people. And uh, they really provided me with the stepping stone I needed because I was mainly doing social media, but they were very open to me saying, hey, um, I really want to be a writer. I really want to do some writing. So I spoke with our editor, Jason Hickman, um, about doing some more writing opportunities. So they were really open to me kind of jumping around different areas. Um, so I, yeah, I can't, I can't thank them enough. Without Max Preps, I honestly don't know where I'd be today because CBS Sports owns Max Preps and so it allowed me to take that next leap as mm. well. So you went from covering a college basketball team, both men's and women's at William Jessup, then you go to Max Preps and now you're at CBS Sports covering the entire league of MLB. Was it a different mindset going from covering a one or two teams at a college versus covering an entire league? Without a doubt. Yeah, that's probably been the biggest challenge for me. 
just you're not able to focus and um, you know put a circle on any one player or any one team now because you have so much going on. And so with William Jessup, again, it was a really small college. And so there's, you don't have as many people reading and, and watching the, the content you're creating, but at the same time, you want to put out a good product. So with, when you're doing beat writing type stuff, you can really be specific on any individual. You can focus on a, a guy's story. So one guy in, and specifically that I focused on was Ben McElmore's little brother. He was playing basketball for a program. He's since mm. passed. Uh, he's since passed two years ago, I think it is now. But having the opportunity to share his story, um, to, to, you know, kind of relate everyone to his relationship with his brother, Ben McElmore, who's been in the NBA for, yep. I think, close to 10 years now. It was cool to get that experience. And so you can really get specific and really zone in on those more humanizing subjects. Whereas from a national perspective, you're expected to be an expert or at least have a lot of knowledge in 30 different teams. And that's not including a lot of the minor league guys too, as well. So it really, you got to have a good, you have to have the skill of just balancing what to focus on on each individual day, because you can't, it's, it's impossible to be an expert as, as great as the Jeff Passens, the Ken Rosenthal's, um, you know, you're, your Mount Rushmore's of MLB journalists, it's nearly impossible to be an expert on 30 teams and, you know, a thousand plus players um, if you count minor leaguers as well. So it's, it's tough. It's definitely a challenge, but you just kind of have to balance it. And unfortunately there's always going to be a little bit of bias because when the Orioles and Tigers are only winning 50 games a year, you're probably not going to focus as much on those two teams. So. <laughs> So would you say that, I mean, now obviously CBS Sports are doing a lot more of like the actual reporting on the major stories that are breaking, but as you also mentioned, you do enjoy those personal stories where you get to do deeper dives on players' backgrounds, players' families and their history. So how would you say you balance those kind of stories out? I mean, obviously you have to report news when you have to report news, but how do you find a way to still, you know, hone your skills in both of those uh, kinds of storytelling? Yeah, I think... I really want to end up, I, I respect what you guys are doing podcast wise, because I too want to try and figure out the right direction. I want to go with a podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm still figuring out it's kind of in the works because to answer your question, I want to do more of a deeper dive into player stories and players' personalities and, and whatnot. Um, and the only way I can really do that is through podcasts because yep. from, from a national journalism perspective, you're expected to write the news and to share the news and you're expected to be uh, no subjectivity. You got to be really objective because if not, you know, you might get some backlash and you won't be as respected. Yeah. And so at the same time, I want to be, um, you know, entitled to my own opinion, if you will, too. I, I want to have my own, my own shtick. And so social media is, is a way I, I do that, whether it's posting videos, um, using any kind of, um, Twitter strategies I can and working in social media has allowed me to build those skills as well. So I really use my social media brand to kind of share my own opinions if anybody wants to hear it. Um, and then like you guys, like I was saying earlier, I think podcast is definitely the future of just opinionated type content. Yeah. So I would definitely like to dip into that fountain um, sometime soon. Great. So another thing that's come up with baseball is analytics and how they've been incorporated in today's game. Uh, for the past two, three years, we've seen an increase in popularity of all these new stats that people have really focused on other than a batting average or a home runs or something like that. How have you used that intake of knowledge into your new writing now? 
Yeah, I think it depends on the writer, or um, I'm sorry, the audience, because it's really tough to, from a national perspective to appeal to so many different people and speak their so many different languages, because most of the people invested in baseball right now know the different terms, BAPIP, the batting average on balls in play, the, the war, the defensive war, all these different metrics. And there's so many more now that even if we compared the terms now to even just last year, there's so many more now. And so it's, it depends on the piece that I'm writing about, because if I'm talking, if I'm trying to appeal to a bigger audience, if you will, I want to use more, um, more terms that will reside with more people. So I'm going to use the more of the, the general war or the on base percentage or the OPS. Whereas if I'm doing a deep dive on a certain um, player or if I'm doing a player profile type thing, and I really want to dive into why he's succeeding, why he's not succeeding, I might have to go more in depth. And that's also to say that if someone's going to click on that article, they know they're going to get more of a deeper dive. They're going to get more of a complex answer because on-base percentage and batting average just doesn't really tell the whole story anymore nowadays. So I think it just depends on the piece and it depends on what audience I'm trying to reach. And uh, speaking of those, those more in-depth pieces where you maybe dive into more of those players' interesting backgrounds, who are some of the young stars in baseball right now that you like writing about the most? Or maybe some guys who over the years, there's been a great story about them that you've just loved to dive into and you had a lot of fun doing it. Who are some of those young MLB studs that you just love covering? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm super West Coast biased being out mm -hmm. here in California. So I love me some Fernando Tatis Jr. I just, I want to see him have a full healthy season before I completely go nosedive into him and, and his future because I think he really is the future of the league. Not only just talent-wise, personality-wise. The guy is electric out on the field with the glove, with the bat. He's a movie every time he steps in between those lines. And so uh, I love me some Fernando Tatis Jr. I just need the Padres to be competitive so that he can actually get the spotlight he deserves. And it's well-recognized already, but Juan Soto is 21, 22 years old. I, I don't know if he's turned uh, 22 yet. I think he's still 21. And the guy's just, you know, he's been lighting it up ever since he stepped onto that major league field and the stuff that he's doing. I mean, he's 21 years old, already has a world series ring, um, all-star. I mean, he's the hitter in that lineup. He's the threat, especially now that Anthony Rendon came out West. So um, Ronald Acuna, um, Glaber Torres. And I know I'm saying names that aren't exactly, um, you know, unique. These are, these are names that are all over the, the headlines, but these are the guys I'm really looking at. And, Maybe a couple of guys I'm looking at more into the future is Mackenzie Gore with the Padres, um, Eloy Jimenez with the White Sox, Michael Kopech with the White Sox, Luis Robert with the White Sox. I'm really high on the White Sox, hopefully getting um, into the playoffs, depending on how this season pans out. It's going to be kind of a strange one, but hopefully in the near future, the Padres and the White Sox are two teams I'm really looking, looking forward to their futures. Well, I want to get into if we're going to have a season later, but another question I had is, well, you're in a social media and you're in a marketing and you know, we see on our Instagram feeds and our Twitter feeds of ESPN and Bleacher Report pushing NBA, pushing NFL, literally anything they could do to compare Michael Jordan now, they'll do it. And, you know, they have, they've taken MLB to a backseat. What can baseball do and what can really the MLB community do to push their sport and increase popularity? Yeah, I think 
right now it's just getting back on the field would be top priority number one and I, I know that's very it's, it's not exactly an expert answer but we saw this last weekend the the golf match between Peyton um Peyton Brady Tiger and Phil that mm -hmm. broke the record for golf ratings and it wasn't even like a real match it was just a charity match and so as long as it's safe for these players and these players agree to it. I think the best thing you can do is just go out there and play because right now there's nothing to choose from right now. I have soccer on, on my TV and I'd never watched soccer. I don't remember the last time I watched soccer, probably the world cup. So I think anybody's going to hang on and, and cling to whatever sports live sports is going on. People are waking up at two 30 in the morning to watch KBO Korean baseball, myself included. So I'd never would have thought I'd be doing that last year or you know before this whole pandemic started but here we are so i think they just need to get back on the field if it is safe um i, I really want to emphasize that because i don't want these players having any type of punishment or consequences for not going out there if they don't think it's safe enough for not only themselves but their families as well because that's an aspect i don't think people are taking um as much interest in is, is the families and the people these guys are interacting with on a day-to-day -day basis because We've, I don't want to get too political here, but we've already talked a lot about um, the, the result of having this virus or contracting this virus. It's not that the players are susceptible or going to have health problems. It's they might have a sister or maybe they have a family member or a friend that they're interacting with. Maybe they are more susceptible to a virus. And so that's, that's a lot of aspects that I know Major League Baseball is taking into account. And again, as long as it's safe, I think the best thing baseball can do is just get back on the field and start playing because that's all we got right now. Definitely. I mean, I know Dylan is a massive Yankees fan, massive MLB guy, and I know he's itching. Uh, I know on Twitter you've been very active over the past few days, and there's probably going to be a big-time announcement within the next day or two about what the MLB's plans are uh, for the immediate future, for the foreseeable future, I should say. So how has this, I guess, how, have, how has your storytelling and how have your articles been changed during this time? Have you had to go more into those personal stories or is it more just telling the news how it is day and day and just covering how this pandem pandemic is hitting baseball? How has that affected uh, how you write and you know, how you uh, take, um, how your storytelling uh, hits viewers? It's, it's been tough to say the least. Just, we've have had to be really, really creative. and. Mm -hmm. I give so much credit to all these writers and content creators that are somehow finding ways to still entertain us, whether it be social media, whether it be articles. Um, I came up with a piece a couple weeks back about just creating the ultimate major league player. So if I took each of their tools, if I picked mm. a certain tool, so if I take uh, Mike Trout's bat with Joey Gallo's power, along with, you know, a couple um, uh, Byron Buxton's speed, a couple different ones. So we really had to get creative. We've done some power rankings type stuff uh, and we've gotten more individualized. So normally in a regular season, we just do a power rankings every single week, ranking the teams, but without anything going on, now we're almost doing, we were doing, it was Matt Snyder, my colleague who was doing power rankings with um, the most power in the lineup, uh, most powerful lineup, the best pitching rotations, the best bullpen. So it's been more specified, uh, uh, more individualized. And we, yeah, like you said, it's been more of a deeper dive on certain players. Um, at the same time, it, it, it makes it tough from a national perspective, just because if we do a deep dive on, you know, some White Sox prospect, a White Sox reader is going to read that. But 
likely um, NBC Sports Chicago has likely already had that same piece. Yeah. So it, it makes it tough because we have to appeal to a greater audience. So we, for if we want to focus on any certain one player, um, he's really got to have some type of national appeal or else it's kind of, you know, wouldn't be worth our time. Mm -hmm. So a question I had, and really a question that's been debated a lot is, let's say we do have an 80, 82 game season. And some people have said that maybe the best team doesn't always win in that sort of, sort of, uh, you know, season, whereas it shortened it's half of the games. What is a team from AL or NL that you see can move into a playoff spot if they're only playing 80, 82 games? Yeah, last, that's, that's a good question because last year the Nationals, after the first 82 games, weren't even, wouldn't have been in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. uh, the Phillies were leading the NL East. The Oakland A's were in last place, and they ended up hosting a wild card game. Uh, the Phillies ended up missing the playoffs. There's, I want to say, four teams after the first 82 games last season that were that would have differentiated the playoff picture had that season ended after 82 games. So I don't know if I'm going to look to any one team that might propel themselves to a playoff spot when they might not otherwise. But I will say that teams with heavy bullpen arms, uh, the Yankees, um, the Padres are our team I'm looking at too because they really solidified their bullpen, um, adding Drew Pomeranz, uh, they acquired Emilio Pagan from the Rays. So the teams that are able to bolster their bullpen, because with this season starting so late, these starting pitchers aren't going to be expected to go 100 pitches, six, seven innings deep, because their arms just aren't quite in shape for that yet. So I think, excuse me, a team like the Yankees, Padres, and Rays will definitely have a leg up and an advantage just because they're going to be able to shorten some games for their starting pitchers. They already have the lineups. The hitters are going to be in shape. That's really not the question or that's not the concern. It's the pitchers that really need to get in shape. And that's why we're getting closer and closer to the deadline. They're going to have to come out with an announcement at some point because you have to give these players ample enough time to you know, gear up and get, especially for the pitchers, they have to get their arms in shape because a lot of these guys have been playing catches uh, excuse me, playing catch with their wives, um, playing catch with their kids just to keep their arms in shape. Um, some are buying nets and they're just throwing in the nets. And that's just not quite, um, you're not going to be game ready. There's, there's no possible way to be game ready at, unless you're thrown to a catcher, you're thrown to your, um, your everyday catcher. And there's teams out there that have new catchers, new um, batteries um, between Yasmani Grandal. He's going to have to find some some way to interact with his pitchers and find coercion between them because he's new. He doesn't quite know what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. So I think a team like the White Sox who have a new catcher, uh, I don't want to say might struggle, but they might come uh, a little bit slower out of the gate just because they haven't had that time to interact with one another. Absolutely. I mean, you think about these teams and even with a new manager, it might be tough because they haven't contacted, uh, you know, in person much before, before everything uh, shut down in spring training. So last, last question before our final last question. So I'd say second to last is <laughs> let's say we do have an 80 game season. Give me a world series matchup and let's hope it's, it's not the white Sox. joking. Yeah. Oh man. I, you know, the thing with predictions, it's so crazy because I think Mark Dorosa said it perfectly. He said, if you make a bold prediction, everyone laughs at you because you're probably going to end up being wrong. But if I say the Yankees, nobody cares because it's not bold enough. So that's the problem with predictions. But I will say this. I, I think the Yankees have a great chance. I think um, 
they're going to have the guys that were going if, if opening day would have started on its normal date, which was March, I think it was 23rd or something like that. They would have had James Paxton, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron judge, all those guys would have been on the, on the IL. But now with the season starting so late, they're going to be healthy. They have an incredible, the best bullpen in the American league, or if there's not an American league this year in the East, I should say. Um, so I think a team like the Yankees are really going to have a leg up just, health-wise, because they've been riddled with injuries for the past two years. So if they can get healthy, they have the talent to do it. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't want to give any certain prediction, but I really think the Yankees have a great shot this year, and I'm sure that makes you happy. because <laughs> Music uh, to my ears. I mean, af- after last year, uh, I've been waiting for a chance for revenge, and hopefully we get it this year. Uh, so our last question that we asked to all our guests is, as aspiring up-and-comers in the industry as Ian and I are, what is one piece of advice that stands out or that you can give to us? Oh man. That's a good one. Um, I would just say, don't be afraid to make connections and don't be afraid to take some chances because a lot of the connections I've made through social media um, or maybe through my company is just by um, talking about random stuff or talking to me, sparking random conversations because I remember, I think it was last December, I did um, like a bracket of the different social media content creators and it went nuts and it allowed me this opportunity to network with guys like Pitching Ninja and um, uh, uh, Foolish Baseball, um, Jared Carabas from Barstool. There's tons of different content creators out there that I didn't even know about and I got to learn um, some new people, I got to meet new people, and I got to connect with those people. So, and that was completely out of the blue. It wasn't anything I had been mocking up for weeks at a time. So, I would just recommend this is going to sound weird, but slide in those DMs. Just introduce yourselves. <laughs> um, introduce yourselves to different people and say, hey, this is what I want to do. What would you recommend doing? You guys are already on the right path, asking these questions, doing podcasts. Um, just getting your foot in the door, you guys are already doing that. So to anyone out there that wants to be in this business, it's not impossible. I'm telling you right now, it's very doable if you take the right steps and you just continue um, to make connections. A lot of it's who you know, not what you know. Um, it, it, that's, it's not, that's not a myth, that truly is. But who you know is truly up to you. It's, it's, it's up to you um, to make those connections, like I said, to slide in those, in those uh, direct messages. And just reach out to people because a lot of people in this business, they're really cool people. They really are. And they're willing to help. Uh, They're willing to jump on a podcast. They're willing to just point you in the right direction. So I would just say, don't be afraid to reach out. Got it. Thank you so much. I mean, it's been a great time. Dan Vietti is our guest today on Beyond the West episode 16. I've been Dylan Pescatore joined by Ian Nicholas. Thank you guys for watching.